If you have your Bibles, I will invite you to turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. That's page 952 of your pew Bibles. If you don't own a good Bible, please take that as our gift to you this morning. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Before we jump right into the text, there are two things that we want to kind of keep in mind or understand or hear even that we might understand the text better as we read it. First thing that we need to hear or know to grasp the text, right speaker, we need to understand what happened in John 9. Jesus' sermon is a response to what happens in John chapter 9. There, you'll recall Jesus healed a man who had been blind from birth. This is a statement move by Christ. In doing so, he demonstrates that he is all that the festival of tabernacles looked back to and forward to. Jesus reveals that he is the God of the pillar of fire. He's the sun come to replace the sun. He is the light of the world that leads his people through the wilderness to the land of promise. In healing the man, Jesus demonstrates that he is God become man. He demonstrates in fulfillment of Isaiah 53 that he is the Messiah. The age of the Messiah has dawned with the healing of blindness. Now, the religious leaders, more than anybody, should have known what Jesus was doing. They should have responded in faith and repentance. Rather than doing that, they respond by doing two things. First, rather than accepting Jesus, they found him guilty of Sabbath breaking. They reject him. And secondly, rather than rejoicing in the fact that one of the sheep of Israel had been healed, they accuse him and they kick him out. Where there should have been celebration and embrace, there was condemnation. Okay, this is the first thing we've got to grasp. Israel's leaders, they not only reject the Messiah, they trample over the flock of God. They have been entrusted with leading them, with caring for them. They don't tend to the flock or mend the wounded. They care only about themselves. We see this in John 9. We saw this in John chapter 5 with the paralytic. The people are merely props for their self-gain. This is the right speaker. Left speaker, we got a grasp to hear the text well, is Ezekiel 34. Jesus is going to pick up the metaphor of sheep and shepherds and the meaning that we see in Ezekiel, which is judgment and rejection of Israel's leaders and salvation of Israel's sheep by God through David's son. Now, it was our scripture reading. It was a bit long as a reminder in Ezekiel 34. God condemns Israel's leaders for not feeding the flock, but fattening themselves, for not healing the sick and bringing back the straying, the blind guy, the lost guy, but rather ruling over them with violence and cruelty. In response, God declares that he will oust the leaders and he himself will shepherd the sheep. He will find those who are straying. He will lead them to good pastures, and he'll put one shepherd over them, his servant David. Jesus takes this metaphor and its meaning, and he applies it and fulfills it in this situation. Israel's leaders are judged for their lack of care, and God, in consequence, has come to save his sheep. He takes his people from their fold, and he puts them in his own flock under his shepherd, his son and David's greater son. So who is this Jesus? He has come to save his sheep and to lead them to greener pastures, and he opposes all those who oppose his mission. He does so for the good of the sheep. Keep this in mind as we read the text, John chapter 10. If you're able, I will invite you for the reading of Holy Scripture. These are the very words of God, the very voice of Jesus even. Listen to him now. Truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. 
He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me because I laid down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who's demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Our big idea this morning, Jesus leads his people to life by means of his word. Jesus leads his people to life by means of his word. Again, Jesus leads his people to life by means of his word. Our three points, three points of application coming from the big idea in the text, of course. Listen to Jesus because he leads you to life. Listen to Jesus because he protects your life. Listen to Jesus because he loves you with his life. Listen to Jesus because he leads you to life. Listen to Jesus because he protects your life. And listen to Jesus because he loves you with his life. First, listen to Jesus because he leads you to life. Jesus leads you to life. As will become quite clear, other people want to lead you too. But insofar as they lead you in any direction that is not Jesus, they lead you to ruin. Any philosophy, any doctrine that moves away from Christ moves away from life. Jesus alone leads his people from the wilderness to oasis. Starting in verse 1, no doubt Jesus, I think, is speaking to the same audience. Probably his own disciples, probably the newly found and seeing man, the bystanders, and whatever Pharisees were there accusing him. Jesus' sermon here is a response to them from John chapter 9, in fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. We begin in verse 1. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus here is setting up this sheep and shepherd metaphor. The sheep, of course, are the people of God. Jesus is the shepherd, though he does, as we'll see, share that title with under-shepherds. And very quickly, actually right out of the gate, he introduces the problem for the well-being of the sheep. It's thieves and robbers. These are Israel's religious leaders. More broadly, these are any teachers, any leaders 
parents, friends, influencers even, who insist that life is found outside of Christ. Anybody who tells you to follow me away from Jesus at least is acting like a thief or a robber. Now, to state what's a couple obvious observations for verse 1, the sheep do not belong to thieves. Okay, you don't steal what's yours. You know, a thumb through your wallet or purse in the dark. They don't belong to the thieves. And secondly, the thieves do not have the sheep's best interest in mind. Jesus tells us what they're after, verse 10. They steal them. Why? To kill them and destroy them. Jesus is telling us here in verse 1, and we'll see again in a bit, there's only one way into the pen, only one right way into the pen, only one way to be among the flock, and it's by means of the gate, verse 7, which is Christ. Jesus is the gate. The thieves and the robbers refuse to enter, they refuse to come to the sheep by means of the word Jesus, because it would mean their faith and repentance. Instead, they sneak in to bring God's people to ruin, even as some of them claim to be ministers of God. But they don't come through the gate. Now, if you're at your house and you see someone you don't know hopping your fence, coming for your things, you don't have to worry about their intentions. (laughs) Someone's jumping your fence. They got a ski mask on. You're not thinking, they're here to take my dog for a walk. They're grabbing your grill. They want to make me dinner. How they get in tells you what they're after. And Jesus is setting up this rivalry between himself and every other would-be shepherd. He's putting it in the most absolute, most mutually exclusive terms. Anyone who comes to his sheep by some other means than Jesus and offers them life is a thief and a robber. Why? There's no life found outside of Christ. There's no water outside of his fount, no food apart from his flesh, only blindness away from his light, only death away from his life. They might look like a shepherd. They might even stand where shepherds stand. They might even say they came through the gate of Christ. But if they don't preach Jesus the way Jesus preaches Jesus, they're a thief and a robber. Their gospels lead not to life, but to ruin. Their messages don't give, but take. Jesus' opponents, self-consciously or not, are set on taking the sheep which is you and to lead you away from Christ who is life. They come to us by some other means than Jesus. Jesus sets up this contrast, verse 3, the gatekeeper opens it for him, that is for the shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, at this time in the ancient areas, communities or families would share sheep pens. You would pull together your resources to build a sheep pen. Maybe let's say it's you and your you know, extended family, you and your community. You'd build this pen, you hire a gatekeeper. The gatekeeper only lets in people who are authorized. This is why the thief and the robber has to sneak in elsewhere. But with all the sheep mixed together, how do you get only your sheep out? Okay, you want to get them out to graze. You don't have time to feed the entire town's flock. Well, as dumb as sheep are, and they are, they come to recognize their shepherd's voice. It's quite remarkable. So you go up to this community pen. It's filled with tons of sheep. The gatekeeper recognizes you. He opens the gate. You then call out for your sheep. All the sheep hear your voice, but only your sheep come to you. Why? They've come to trust you. They recognize your voice. Jesus comes down to his people, and out of the cacophony of voices that are calling toward the sheep, when Jesus speaks, the sheep respond. Why? We've come to trust him. The sheep trust him in his word, and we've come to learn by experience that all other means will lead us to ruin, but Jesus gives us life. We trust him. We see the way that Jesus leads us. Notice if you look at the text, he leads us out. He calls us by name. It's a deep 
personal knowledge with what Jesus leads us by. Verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It's highly unusual. A shepherd would have some kind of family call. You know, you don't got time to be calling all the sheep by name. You got this one call, Ba-Ram-You. <laughs> some of you remember, 90s classic babe, Ba-Ram-You, Ba-Ram-You. All of your sheep come to you. Jesus doesn't give a generic call that all his sheep hear. No, he calls his sheep by name because he came for his people by name. His mission, like his leadership, and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. In response to every false teacher who promises life but delivers death, starting with Satan in the garden, God himself has come to his flock to find the lost and to mend the wounded. He doesn't come aimlessly or wishfully to secure people for himself. No, Jesus came with names from the Father. He came with your name on his heart, and in due time he called your name from his lips. You heard and you responded. There was a moment for all of us who were in Christ when we heard the gospel. Something different happened. We heard not just the preacher, but Jesus himself calling to us by name, and we ran to him. What farmer do you know that names all of his livestock? You might name your dog. What farmer do you know that names all of his livestock? The text is stressing just how personal and intimate Jesus' knowledge is of his people. It's the kind of name knowing that leads your creator to lay down his life for you. It's a loving knowledge. The blind man, whose name we don't know, he was not unknown to Jesus. Right? Jesus didn't just happen across him. The woman at the well, John chapter 4, whose name we don't know, she was not unknown to Jesus. He doesn't meet her by circumstance. No, he came for them like he came for you. You were not unknown to Jesus before you met him. He came for you, and at the right time, by means of his spirit, through the preaching of the word, Jesus called you by name, and you responded in faith. Jesus intimately knows those who are his and we intimately know him such that when we hear him we respond many call to us but it's to his voice we respond he great dog he was born with severe cataracts his eyesight's just terrible he was like running to stuff we thought he was just being a puppy but he's actually got bad eyesight i found out last week as i was studying and prepping my sermon on john 9 the man who was born blind <laughs> i was like god why now, we had him for about seven weeks. We worked really hard with him, like really hard with him. We used his breakfast and dinner every day to train him. We wouldn't just put a bowl down. We would, we would use his kibble to train him. So at 7.30 in the morning, one of us is getting the kids' breakfast. The other was training Boone. At 7 p.m., one of us was finishing up with the kids and cleaning. The other one of us was training Boone. He could, as a little puppy, probably, I guess at that point, 14 weeks, he could sit he could lay down he could get up he could spin he could stay for extended periods of time we could leave the room come back he's waiting for us kennel bed he could heal from the heel position he could stop he could sit he could lay down he could wait again for extended periods of time before he would uh have a treat or water or food our goal my goal at least for him was to have it's what's called a hundred percent recall meaning if i call his name he comes to me no matter what is happening okay if you have a dog you understand how difficult this is this is the goal, 100% recall. It doesn't matter if we're at a park and a dog is chasing him, if somebody drops a bucket of bacon, if it's raining tennis balls, if cats are doing ballet, if I call his name, he would come to me. That's the goal, 100% recall. Why is that important other than it being cool? Well, if he's chasing a ball toward the street, I need him to be able to control his impulses and trust that I know better for him and to come for me when I call his name. How do you train a dog toward that? Slowly. You have to show a dog over time that when you call his name, good things happen. That it's better to be at his side than anywhere else. This is why we train him with his food. Boone, sit. Food. Boone, lay down. 
food. Boone, spin, food. Boone, come, food. Boone, heal, food. We would walk around the house and just feed him from the heel position so that he would, his default position is just to be on our left and to walk near us because he knows to be with us is to be in a good place. If he wants to live, he's got to be by me or Jess. He obeys, we praise him, we play with him, we rub his belly. He disobeys, we don't give him anything he wants. We're teaching him that the fullness of life, everything he wants, food, companionship, safety, fun, protection, it's found at our side and nowhere else. Such that when we say his name, it doesn't matter what he's doing, he comes. Why? He's learned. Life is lived by my master's side. To be far from us, in fact, is possibly to be in danger. The goal is to get him at a point where it doesn't matter what siren is calling his name. When he hears his name from my voice, he comes. This is what Jesus expects from his sheep. It's an intimate, personal, experiential, trusting knowledge. When he hears us, we, when he calls us, we go to him. We have found that at his side, there is everything we need. Life companionship, safety, joy, satisfaction. Jesus calls us by name and he expects us to respond. This is the mark of his sheep. He calls us, we trust him, and we've learned by, his, by experience that Jesus alone gives life. Again, when he has brought all his outside, he goes ahead of him. The sheep follow him because they know his name. Now notice how Jesus leads his sheep, not from behind, but from ahead. Shepherds in the West, so in Europe and the States, Australia also, they lead from behind, and they use dogs to drive their sheep. Okay, Bluey, that beloved dog, she's a cattle dog. She's not meant to spend her days uh, playing make-believe with bingo, but driving sheep. Shepherds in the east do something totally different. Rather than using a dog to drive their flock, they simply lead from the front by means of their voice. Jesus doesn't drive us from behind. He leads us. He leads us gently for our good. Again, think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Jesus doesn't drive us from behind. I hope they can make it through that bout of depression. I hope they see unemployment coming up. I hope they can navigate that anxiety My name personally toward greener pastures leading us precisely where we need to go to get there. Jesus leads us personally, meaning he leads us himself, and he leads us in the way that we each need to be led. Why? He knows us. He's our maker and redeemer. His knowledge of us is intimate, and the sheep know this. We trust him. We've come to experience it, and so when he calls us, we run to him. In fact, he's the only person we run to. Look at verse 5. In contrast, Jesus says, they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. So the thief has jumped in the pen. They're dressed like a shepherd even. They maybe even know the family call. They're shouting, Baram you. The sheep don't run to him. Why? They don't know his voice. One commentator, Leon Morse, put it well. He says, it appears that strangers, even when dressed in the shepherd's clothing and attempting to imitate his call, succeed only in making the sheep run away. The only thing a false teacher should be able to get you to do is to flee. The distinguishing mark of Jesus' sheep is that they recognize and listen to his voice and his voice alone. We see this in verses 3, 4, 5, 8, and 16. We follow him. We flee from everyone else. Now, of course, we don't hear the bodily voice of Jesus today, so how do we hear his voice? 
We hear it in his word. John 6, 63, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus' word is the vehicle that the Holy Spirit uses to bring his voice to our hearts. We hear Jesus' voice in the word. We hear it in the preaching of the word. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, this is why, Paul writes, we constantly thank God. Because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it is truly the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. Jesus employs under shepherds to lead the sheep by means of the gate, which is Christ. Thieves and robbers are robed as under shepherds, and yet they do not speak with the voice of Jesus. His voice does not ring forth through them. They aim to lead the sheep away from the flock. Yes, they often look like us. Wolves in sheep's clothing, thieves dressed as shepherds. What Jesus is calling us to is not an eye test, but an ear test. Jesus expects us to know our Bibles and the doctrine contained within them so well that when someone stands up and teaches, it doesn't matter if it's a pastor or a parent, if they're offering us life, we should be able to discern if it comes from Jesus or not. Brothers and sisters, if someone is offering you life, that is happiness, fulfillment, purpose, satisfaction, and it's not found in the real Jesus of the Bible, they're not offering you life. To know the voice of Jesus, you have to know what your Bible says and you have to know what it means. We trust Jesus and experience has taught us that at his side we find friendship. It's at his side we find life and safety. Everyone else apart from him is trying to offer us ruin. Brothers and sisters, do you recognize the voice of Jesus? Do you run to his voice? Are you following any strangers? Is there someone you need to run from whom you've been running to? Do you realize where the stranger intends to take you? The Christian ought to cultivate a healthy sense of spiritual stranger danger. When you hear someone preaching or teaching that you don't know, you're thinking, uh, no, I don't see that in the Bible. Like, no, I don't see that in our historic confessions. No, that's, that's not how the voice of Jesus speaks. We instruct our children to be distrustful of people they don't know because their lives depend upon it. Brothers and sisters, do you fear spiritual strangers like your eternal life depends upon it? It does. The safest place to be is at the side of Jesus. To be at his side, you have to recognize his voice. You have to be able to distinguish it from the voice of strangers. You need to be able to recognize the voice that created you, that called you, that's remaking you, that leads you through the valleys, that lays you by quiet waters, that will one day usher you across the Jordan. More than any other voice in this world, the voice you want to learn and study and hear and respond to is that of Jesus, your shepherd. He leads you like no other. Not to ruin, but to life. Can you distinguish his voice from others can you tell the difference between the real gospel and the prosperity gospel is it easy for you to identify the difference between the culture's jesus and the bible's jesus this is the mark of his sheep we run to him and away from others Jesus, or the text goes on, verse 6, Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Those who are listening, the Pharisees in particular, they hear Jesus, but they don't understand because they do not recognize the voice of Jesus. They hear, but they don't understand because they're not part of his fold. The sheep, in contrast, we know Jesus. We listen to his voice because of the way he leads us. We also listen to Jesus because he protects us. Brothers and sisters, listen to Jesus because he protects your life. He protects your life. Jesus goes on. This is where he gets at in the next part of the metaphor, verse 7. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Again, Jesus here using the metaphor, mutually exclusive terms, anyone who comes not by means of the gate and tries to speak to the sheep and to lead them does so with their destruction in mind. They might not realize it, but that is what the effects of their works will do. Importantly, thieves and robbers are not limited to Jesus' day. We've got to believe this, that anyone, I mean anyone who sets himself up in competition with Christ to give us life, even if they claim the name of Christian, will, verse 10, lead us to destruction. In contrast, Jesus, he protects us, verse 9. He says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The gate metaphor is really doing two things for us. First, it's showing us there's only one way into the flock of God. There's only one way to become part of God's people. It's not by works. It's not by law. It's not by ethnicity. It's not by wishful thinking. It's not by the family you're born into. Not even by being in this church, walking through those doors. It is by Jesus and Jesus alone. Similar to what Jesus tells us in chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus there says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus here is telling us, I am the gate. It is only through me that you enter the fold of God. It is only through me that you'll make it to greener pastures, to life, to resurrection, to eternal bliss under God's care. It comes by Jesus and Jesus alone. Anybody who tells you you can live even a little bit outside of Christ is doing what the thief does. They're giving you a gospel that does not give but takes. Jesus tells us what a thief comes to do. Verse 10. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Satan's greatest lie stretching all the way back from the garden until now is to reverse this. Satan wants us to believe that God is the thief, that God aims to steal from us life and joy. He whispers to us by means of his messengers that greener pastures are found outside of God's fields, that we'll be happier when we don't have to follow anybody, that we'll be more free when we're not penned up, more in control, more satisfied when you have more partners, more loved if you're more accepting, freer if you're freed up from Christ, he tells you you can keep Christ if you change him a little, make it to where he's following you. Satan longs for us to think that the pen of Christ is a prison, that his pastures are brown with decay, that Christ's rod and his staff bring neither comfort nor protection, and it is a lie. It is a lie intended for our ruin. He comes for us, and he comes for us by means of our ear. He lies to us. He wants us to believe that God is the thief. I'm not sure why you think Christ came. He tells us there in verse 10, it wasn't to stifle you or to crush you. It wasn't to cage you or abuse you. It was to give you life and to give it to you in abundance. God did not create us out of lack of anything. It wasn't because he was lonely or needed a hobby. He wasn't needing new friends. We don't add anything to him. God made us out of the overflow of his life. It was from the fullness of his being and joy. God is so committed to you experiencing life that he came here to die for it. There is no one, and I mean no one, more committed to your happiness, to your flourishing, to your freedom than Jesus. Satan longs for you to be rid of Christ that he may imprison you once again. He sends us false missionaries, be them influencers or politicians, even family and friends, to speak different gospels to us that we might look away from Christ. He does it with our destruction in mind. The sheep ought to know that the grass is always greener with Jesus. Do you believe that? The child that follows the stranger is inclined to believe that good is waiting for them. It is not. The sheep that follows the thief finds neither life nor pasture but destruction 
and ruin. Do you believe that? The gate metaphor is not just about life. It's about the protection of life. Apart from Christ protecting us, there is no life. I think Jesus is slightly changing the metaphor. He does this several times throughout. You might think he's, he's making a few different dishes with the same ingredients. It can make it kind of confusing as you're reading it. I think in the way that he's using the metaphor now, the thieves and the robbers don't get in because Christ doesn't let them. The idea is that we're safe behind his pen. We're safe when we're with Jesus, when we listen to his voice. We're protected from harm. In fact, we see that Jesus will fight for us as the good shepherd, even to the death. This is what he picks up in verse 11, again, changing the parts of the metaphor. He says, I am the good shepherd. This is where our Old Testament alarm bells should start ringing off. Jesus saying that he is the good shepherd of Psalm 23. God, the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34, of Jeremiah 23. Jesus is Israel's shepherd, both as their God and as David's greater son. He's not just any shepherd, he's the good shepherd. And how do we know that he's good? It's not just that he protects us, but how he protects us. Jesus goes on, verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. So you and your extended family, that you have this pen, you can't be here all the time, so you hired a hand. The problem with the hired hand, Jesus says when the wolf comes, he flees. Why? Verse 13, he doesn't care about the sheep. Why? They're not his. He's there for a check. He doesn't know them by name. He doesn't love them. As fast as the wolf come, he flees. I've seen enough videos of people ransacking stores, and you see in the video there's a security guard there. I'm sure there are many wonderful security guards out there in the world. Praise God for them. Uh, it's, it's easy to understand if you're a security guard and 20 people breaking into a store like a flash mob to steal stuff, to steal what doesn't belong to you, you start thinking, it might be time to hide. What do you care? It's not your stuff. If you intervene, it could be your life. For the hired hand, it's just a job. The good shepherd, the one who knows the sheep by name, is different. He so protects the sheep that he's willing to put his life on the line. He fights the wolf himself with staff and stone in hand. Apparently, he finds it better to die if it means the sheep can live. The hired hand seemed to care until danger came. You know the good shepherd cares because what he did when danger came. He lays his life down for the sheep. You can almost hear David, Jesus' lesser father, telling Saul, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them for he has defiled the armies of the living God. The good shepherd, unlike the hired hand, protects the sheep so that they may live even if it means his death. In fact, as we'll see, it's by means of his death that we live. The sheep's very life depends upon his or her ability to distinguish between shepherd and thief, between good shepherd and hired hand, between wolf and lamb, can you? Calvin rightly notes, no plague is more destructive to the church than when wolves ravage under the garb of shepherds. Jesus aims to protect us by his word. We must be able to recognize his voice and stand behind him as he leads us from harm and as he protects us. To wander away from his flock, which is the church. To wander away from his voice, scripture. To wander away from our confessions, which rightly capture scripture. It's to wander towards ruin. 
Brothers and sisters, we should embrace the sheep metaphor. It's giving you a license to be weak. We are defenseless. Too many of us think ourselves to be lions and tigers and bears. We think, I'll be okay if I don't go to church for a month. I'll be fine if I don't read my Bible this week. I'll flourish if I uncritically watch this and listen to them and ingest all of these contrary truth and life claims. We forget that we're sheep. There is a lion and it's not you. Peter warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. To wander away from the Bible, to wander outside the church, outside its historic confessions, it's to be alone in Satan's savannah right where he wants you, right where the thief aims to lead you. Brothers and sisters, listen to Jesus. He protects you from him who would destroy you. We come to our final consideration. Listen to Jesus because he loves you with his life. Jesus, it should be clear, loves you. His voice is full of love for you. If it's not obvious, the thief, the robber, the hired hand even, and the wolf, they do not love you but mean you harm. What can be difficult for us is that often people we love try to lead us from Christ. They might not mean to destroy us, but the effects of their advice will. Listen instead to Jesus. He leads you to life, he protects you, and he loves you. He loves you with his life. This is, in fact, how we know he loves us. He gives all that is his to us. Look at verse 14. He says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. How much does Jesus love us? He invites us into the kind of intimacy that's shared between him and the Father. Just as the Father knows the Son, and just as the Son knows the Father, we come to know him, and he knows us. How do the Father and Son know each other? Perfectly, intimately, eternally, lovingly. Their knowledge is unbroken and without blemish. Recall again what John tells us in John 1.18 that no one has ever seen the Father but the Son. That is, he's saying no one knows the Father comprehensively but the Son. The Son has come to reveal him to us. Jesus calls us into this kind of perfect, loving, giving, overflowing, unceasing, intimate knowledge. Jesus did not purchase you like some book to put on a shelf. He knows you, eternally knows you. He calls you by name, and if you're his sheep, you know him too. Jesus is not intended to be simply. He tends to your soul. He is as committed to your life as he is committed to his own. And if you are in Christ, you know this. You've come to experience this because you know him. What would compel Jesus to give us such knowledge, such relationship? Think again about the metaphor. Why would Jesus give this to us? Stupid, wayward, wandering, defenseless, adding nothing to his own life, sheep. He loves you. The Father and Son in spirit were lacking nothing in life or love or knowledge such that they needed to bring us in. It is out of the overflow of God's love that he invites us to find ourselves wrapped up in him. Brothers and sisters, what do you want in life more than to be known? To be known and still accepted. To be known and forgiven. To be known and embraced well, Jesus knows it all, and he loves you still. And of course, the more we come to know him, the more we love him. Listen to his voice because he loves you. Look at what he does for you in love. End of verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. For Jesus, this is not theoretical. He laid down his life for the sheep. His death is for the sheep. 
for the sheep whom he names and calls, not just for some sheep, but all the sheep, not just the sheep of Israel, but also for the Gentiles. This is what verse 16 is getting at. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not from this pen, that is the pen of Israel. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. God, in his love, in his mercy, recreates a people under one flock, in one pen, under one shepherd. Jesus is creating, recreating the church, which we confess to be one holy Catholic that is universal and apostolic. Not multiple flocks, but one with one shepherd. Jesus, by means of his death, rips down the dividing wall of hostility. He brings his people, former enemies, together under himself, the one shepherd. He brings us into the same kind of love and unity and knowledge that's shared by the Father and Son. This whole undertaking is done so in love. Why does the Father give the Son of the world? John 3.16, love. Why does the Son obey the Father as man? Verse 17, it's love. What's so remarkable about the Good Shepherd laying down his life is that he does so by choice, which is to say he's not motivated by anything external, but by love. This is what we see in verse 18. Jesus says, no one takes it from me, that is his life, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. Jesus was not bound and led away and tried and mocked and beaten and hung apart from his own permission and power. This is the word that created all things, John 1, 3, and 4. This is the word that holds all things together, Hebrews chapter 1. This is the word that in John chapter 18, by answering a single question, will fell his accusers to the ground. With a single word, he could strip them of life and condemn them to death, but he doesn't. Why? Because he came to lay his life down for the sheep. Why? So that we could be saved from death and experience life. Why? Because he loves us. There is no other reason than that he loves us. Staggeringly, the good shepherd is led like a sheep to the slaughter on behalf of his sheep's own crimes. He found it better to die for us so that we could live. Calvin puts it quite provocatively, I think. He writes, Our salvation is dearer to him than his own life. This is, of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that though we wandered like sheep away from the shepherd of our souls, that though we chose pastors we thought were greener but led us to ruin, that though we have sinned against our God and maker, that God, the great shepherd that he is, became a man and died as a lamb in our place to protect us from our enemies. Sin that leads to death and Satan that stands behind them both. Jesus bore our sin that we might be forgiven by God and freed from him who seeks to kill us. Jesus did this by choice, which is to say he did it by love. And the wonderful news, of course, Jesus says it's not just by his authority that he lays his life down, but he raises it up. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. His death and his life means life for us. He calls to his sheep now all over the world. If you're visiting us this morning and you're not a Christian, we would implore you to hear the voice of Jesus in the preaching of the gospel. Jesus, the good shepherd, calls out to you in love. Turn from your sins and run to him. This whole gospel is a gift. We receive it by faith and repentance. Repentance means running from all that which would destroy us. And faith means running to Jesus, him who would save us. Hear his voice this morning and believe. John regularly, as we see, reminds us that there are only two ways to respond to Christ's message. Only two ways to respond to his leading. We see this in verses 19 and 20. Verse 19, again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? One commentator put it nicely when he said, based on what Jesus is saying, he's either divine or demonic. If you claim to be God and the Messiah of Ezekiel 34, come to die on behalf of your people's sins. There is no nice guy option for Jesus. As C.S. Lewis put it, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. 
Again, if you're not a Christian, how will you respond to Jesus? Brothers and sisters, we're reminded that if we preach the gospel, if we preach Jesus like Jesus preaches as Jesus, it should be clear to people as they respond to him. He's either divine or he's demonic. We have to present Christ as he presents himself. We have to present Christ as he presents himself in his word so that people, his sheep, can rightly hear his voice and respond. So some reject him. Others, verse 21, were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Again, in John, we are struck with the same sign and voice leads some of its seers and hears to two drastically different outcomes. Some see the sign, they hear his voice, and they run to him, others flee. The sheep see, and they hear, and they believe. The sign for them is their salvation. For others, the sign becomes a means of judgment. John 9, they refer back to John 9, the same light that opened the eyes of the blind blinded the eyes of those who thought they could see. The same voice that calls the sheep in angers the thieves and the robbers. Brothers and sisters, what distinguishes God's sheep from others is how we respond to the voice of Christ. Do you love his voice? Do you run to his voice when he calls you? Do you flee from all those who would lead you away from him? Jesus alone is the good shepherd. He knows us and he leads us to greener pastures. He protects us from harm. He lays down his life for us that we might know him as he knows the Father. He does this all because he loves us. He does this because he loves us. His voice is one of love. Do you run to him when he calls for you? Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you as we hear and heard this morning that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he has laid down his life for his flock, that he has protected us from our own sin and our enemy, that he has forgiven us by means of the gospel. God, I pray for all the members here at Midtown Baptist Church, for any Christians who are visiting as well, that we would love the voice of Jesus. We pray for any non-Christian who's visiting that they would hear the voice of Christ this morning, that they would turn from their sins and trust in him. We pray that you would extend the gift of life to them today. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.